0: The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis Lee, Cody Martin, and Veronica Jaguar, presenting Season 6, Revolutions, Wholehearted, Part 3, written by Mercedes Lackey and Dennis Lee. The lifeline wasn't there. Instinctively she curled in on herself to preserve as much as she could for as long as she could, but this was like being in a sandstorm with the whirling remains of Harmony's trap etching her, scouring away at her protections. Without an outside source of power, she would last only as long as her will did, or, or until Red could punch through again. If he could. If he would. If he had second thoughts, wanted to eliminate the uncomfortable magician from his life. Now was the time. No, she wouldn't think that of him. If he could, then he would. And if he couldn't, then at least I go out saving someone else. And until she knew that for certain there was no getting out of here, she would believe he could do it. He could reach her. Her will had kept her going for a long, long time now. She hardened it, and herself, and held on. Bella knew immediately when something went wrong. She sensed the drain on Bulwark stop, and her heart leapt, but then she sensed Vicky go missing. Her attention was ripped from Bull. Vicky was white as a piece of paper. Rigid, eyes glassy, a statue caught in the glowing matrix of her own protections. If this had been anything other than magic, Bella would have lunged off the stool and grabbed Vicky with both hands. But Vicky had warned her the protections would guard her from anything, including the best of intended help. There was no way to reach her, except through Red. So Bella lunged for the genie instead, clamped both hands around his head, and shoved energy into him. Damn it, Chowderhead! she yelled at him. Focus! But she couldn't reach him. And he couldn't reach Vicky. He was caught in some terrible memory of pain that she couldn't break past. Screw that. Yes, I can. Red! she shrieked. Snap out of it! She backed up her physical shouts with psychic ones. Home, you rat bastard! Bring her home! But instead of anger, she surrounded him with something else entirely. The satisfaction and pride she felt when he finally started coming up to the mark. That odd affection when he started helping Vicky. The surety that, yes, he could do this. And... What do you call the opposite of loneliness? Whatever it was, she shoved that at him, too. You're not alone anymore. We're in this together. I have your back. Now you get hers. It came back to him. Those long days spent in that cramped Echo prisoner cell. The torture of sleep. The faces that came to the surface taunting him with his failures. And her face, most of all, that serene beauty that could in an instant radiate girlish charm, infectious laughter, unwavering determination, or a righteous wrath. Amethyst knew he loved her, but she could never have guessed how much power she had over him. From her, a simple look of gratitude gave him a desire to accomplish five impossible things before breakfast. A mildly scornful expression would plague him with doubts and self-loathing for days. But by worse, by far, were her fierce stares of blame, and he would simply want to shrivel up and die, right there. For weeks now, that had been the expression that haunted him most, even though that was not what he had seen in that last moment. His fault. His fault. Fault and surely, surely she must have felt that in the nanosecond of her death. he couldn't bear it. the accusation, the hate it spilled over to everything else. she surely hated him in that moment, and so he hated himself, and so everyone else by extension had to hate him, and the fact that no one alive knew of his guilt but him was irrelevant. There were plenty of other things he'd done. How many had paid for his greed and ambition over the years? How many had he knowingly manipulated for some paltry sum? How many had died, whether by his hand or indirectly from his actions, simply because they had gotten in his way? And just this past year, God. He'd almost killed Vix. He'd opened the door for Jack. So he was responsible for Tesla and for Bull. Here he was again, looking for redemption, fooling himself into thinking it was even possible. It was a tired lesson he could never seem to learn. There was no redemption, not for the things he had done. Any time he tried, it only seemed to make things worse. Amethyst's look, that look, that wasn't just blame. It was every failure he had ever endured, masked by the illusion of past victories, shielded by false pretenses of atonement. The truth was, he doubted, He could ever outrun his past. He was utterly alone because he deserved to be. There was no one. No one. Damn it, chowderhead! Her voice rang inside his head. Focus! Red cringed in annoyance. For all her beauty, Bella had the most piercing voice of anyone he had ever met. It was typical of her, too. Here he was trying to enjoy some much-deserved self-loathing, and she had to intrude with... Red! She shrieked. Snap out of it! She backed up her physical shouts with psychic ones. Home, you rat bastard! Bring her home! He filled her then, her presence, and through the darkness she appeared. Her look was encouraging, her posture inviting, and she smiled at him. You're not alone anymore. We're in this together. I have your back. Now you get hers. He felt her pushing through the guilt, through the absolute cloak of solitude to where he was. He felt her bombard his mind with pride and friendship. He shrank away from it. He didn't deserve feelings like that. He was who he was a cynical bastard, and as much as part of him longed for such acceptance, the rest of him knew better. She persisted, stubborn wench, refusing his rejection, drawing ever closer, until he could almost feel her breath upon him. She was radiant. He had desired her since the moment she had first marched up to him and cold-cocked him across the jaw. Here in the dark weft of Vicky's spell, it was so cold, and Bella was so close and so warm. He reached out, drew her close, and kissed her, hard. She fought for a moment, a sense of shock, surprise, indignation blanketing everything else. Then, unexpectedly, she melted into the kiss for just a moment. Home, Red. This is home now. Home, he thought, and gasped as the tether blazed back into existence. Then she was out, taking in a huge gasping breath, and as her protections blazed up around her, then winked out. She staggered backwards and came up against the wall. That wasn't just Red. She shook her head to clear it and saw them. Together. Bella and Red. Which explained why the tether hadn't been just Red. Of course. Bella had her arms around him. While it looked like it was for support, and Red seemed very shaken, in her estimation there was a 90% probability that a moment before she saw them it hadn't just been for support. Hell, she wrote romances. The guy the girl hates and fights with was always the one she ended up with. Right? And now she felt the bitter bile of... Not jealousy, no. How could someone like her be jealous of someone like Bella? But envy. The way Red was looking at Bella. No one, not even someone as damaged as Red would ever, ever look at her that way. No matter what she'd hoped. Subconsciously, anyway. Yeah, right. And pigs would fly in attack formation over Beirut before that happened. Be grateful for the crumbs you get she fought down tears, swallowed down the sharp-edged lump in her throat. Be happy for your friends being happy. Try anyway, because that's the closest you'll ever get. Still, they had just saved her life. You would think they would turn to look at her or something. The terrible armor of her scars closed in around her, A tangible barricade that would forever stand as a barrier to anything beyond friendship. Forget it. Move on. Concentrate on something beside yourself. You aren't the star of the story, and it isn't all about you. It's about the team. Don't forget why you were here in the first place. She clamped down on her heart hard. You get... Half an hour to feel sorry for yourself and cry when you get home. That's it. That's all the self-indulgence you get. Then you concentrate on something productive. While they were still staring into each other's eyes, she dashed her glove across her own to clear the burning tears away, and turned her attention to Bulwark. And frowned. There were some things even she could tell from the machines, and from him, thanks to Sovie's breathing. He was breathing on his own at last, and that dreadful draining was shut down for good. But he wasn't coming out of the coma, and she wasn't medic enough to guess why. Bell, she said, without turning to look at the other two. "'What the hell is going on with Bulwark?' Bella and Red came apart with a start, as if awakening from a dream, and looked at Vicky blankly. Bella snapped fully into work mode first, and wobbled a little as she raced to Bull's side. Okay, breathing on his own. She disconnected the respirator. There was nothing good that came of keeping a meta on those if he or she didn't need it. She checked the EKG. Looked like a coma, but not a vegetative one. There was something going on in his head, something very active. But he wasn't coming out of it. She glanced at Vicky, who shrugged. Meta's, Vicky said, and shrugged again. I mean, I'm no doctor, but Sophie says you can't always tell how they're going to recover. For some of them, at least from the conversations I've had with her, it's like they're doing a systems check constantly and they stay out cold until everything's repaired. Then they come to all at once. Bella scowled, Jeannie for the moment forgotten. Well, at least now I've got brain activity and I don't need to keep anything but the IV drip on him. So nobody's going to have the excuse to pull the plug on him. They both knew who that nobody would be, too. Nothing like eliminating the last witness to what had happened in Tesla's office. I'll put a magic cyber snoop tag on him. If anything looks hinky, it'll alarm for me, and in this state, we can move him to Sophie's Bay, Vicky said firmly. Won't hurt him to be off the drip for the hour or two that would take. Bella let out a sigh of relief. That'll work. Murdoch can probably do the heavy lifting. Or Chug. Red looked back and forth between the two of them. We done here then? He asked finally. Vicky jumped as if she'd been stung. Shit, sorry, Janie. You were. Her voice caught for just a moment, then she swallowed. You did great, like I figured. Thanks. He shook his head. No. I really didn't. almost got you killed. Lucky Bella was here. He favored Bella with a strange look. Bella averted her eyes and turned back to Bulwark's monitors. Red shrugged into feet and stepped next to her. He paused as if unsure what to say and shrugged again. He laid a hand on Bull's shoulder and gave it a rough squeeze. I hope this helped, big guy, Red murmured. As he turned to leave, he brushed by Bella and felt her flinch away. But Vicky touched his arm with a flick of a gloved finger, as if she knew how sensitive his skin was. Of course she knew. She'd been in it. With or without Bella, you did good. The only way she could have reached me was through you. She smiled wanly. Thanks. He wouldn't look at her. He and Bella were seriously off. Uncomfortable. With the kind of confusion you saw in high school kids who just had a moment with someone they'd never considered romantically before. She watched him leave, closing the door behind himself quietly. She wanted to feel good. Instead, she felt like hell. And it's not all about you, she reminded herself. She glanced at Belle, who was busy with Bulwark. Go home. Cry. Then work on those sensor balls and get them integrated with the Cybermancy. You're going to need them. The team is going to need them, and the team is counting on you. There's just too much at stake for you to play at self-indulgence now. It was a garden. A garden with no paths, arranged with little geometric plantings of flowers, green turf between them. So far as Gardner could tell, it went on forever. There was a great deal of light, but no sun. No way to tell time. It was peaceful here, but it was also... isolated. He hadn't been really alone in a long time. Alone as in no people around, that is. Alone as in without someone. He'd been achingly alone since Victoria vanished, but that was different. But so far as he could tell, and he had walked for what seemed like miles through this garden, he was the only thing in it that wasn't a plant or a bug. So he finally sat down, even though he wasn't tired, and waited. Eventually, Something changed. The something was a light in the distance, growing nearer. It seemed in no hurry to get to him, but then... He was in no hurry to see what it was. There was just no sense of urgency here. Eventually, he saw that the light had a human shape. When it grew near enough, he recognized it, or at least he thought he did, because he had never actually seen this... person... With his own eyes, only had her described to him. If he was right, this was the one that had been tagged as the Seraphim. She wasn't in Echo. She wasn't in any organization that he could tell. Opinion was divided on whether she was a metahuman or a real angel. It appeared that he was about to find out for himself. She stopped a few feet away, and contemplated him. Her gaze was somewhat unnerving, since her golden eyes had no pupils. Greetings, gardener, she said quietly. Her voice had some odd overtones, as if more than one person was speaking with her mouth. He nodded politely. Ma'am, he said in way of greeting, Heaven wasn't exactly as he had pictured it. As inviting as his surroundings were, he felt wary and on his guard. Still, minding his manners seemed the thing to do. I assume you understand at this point that you are not in the world you knew. There was no irony, no amusement in her tone, more like a grave serenity. And no, this is not heaven. Although there are as many of those as there are believers, and for some, this might be heaven. For you, however, this is... Call it a rest stop. He glanced around. So, this is my platform nine and three quarters. Now she smiled. It was a radiant smile, one that bathed him in approval. Clever man. Yes, in a sense. And in that same sense, thanks to Herculean work by your friends, you actually have a choice in destinations. I think, however given your temperament, You would prefer to think about those destinations before choosing. Careful consideration of options, and assessing the costs, risks, and potential benefits of each. Bull bowed his head for a moment, then looked up at the Seraphim. Yes, that sounds like me. It has permitted me to tell you a great deal. This is because if you should choose one particular one of those options, you will not retain the memory of what I tell you. That option is, of course, to go back. She blinked slowly. It is in my gift to see the futures. You are important to them. Not absolutely vital, but I see you in many of the ones that lead to success. As opposed to failure, which for humanity would be total. She paused as if thinking. However, you are not absolutely vital. It will be difficult, but I can find ways and means to replace you. If I must. You mean my value in this world is not essential, Bulwark said. You're saying I have really nothing to sway my choice to either return or to go on. She sighed. You all really are caught up in hearing what you choose to hear, not what I actually say. No, I did not say that. He held up his hand. No, please, do not misunderstand. I am not assuming a tone of self-deprecation. I'm merely trying to understand the full extent of the ramifications of my choice here. If, as you say, I return, then I may be of use in the trials before us. If I choose not to return, my choice alone will not damn all of humanity. Correct. Correct. Just checking, he said, and held his hands behind him, standing at ease. Please continue. Should you choose other than return, your options widen to well the universe is yours to share with victoria with others if you wish to find incarnation in some other form return to the fight as it were elsewhere elsewhere the possibilities are infinite she tilted her head to the side looking curiously alien Wait, he interrupted, and held up his hand. Did you just say I could rejoin Victoria? She nodded. If you wish. I can tell you, it is her wish. But no individual's wish is forced on another. Free will is the law. She knows this and accepts it. She also accepts that your choice will not be indicative of your love for her or lack of it. She does not doubt that. He glared at her for a long moment. She is dead then, he said finally. Yes. But in your heart, you have known this for a very long time. I am a soldier, ma'am. I needed confirmation. I understand. This is why I told you. In this moment of choosing, you must have all the information you need. She spread her hands a little. It is not permitted that I recommend a choice. How did she die? he asked, interrupting. The Seraphim sighed and closed her eyes for a moment. I cannot tell you, she said finally. That is not permitted, either. Not permitted, he repeated. Not permitted. No, it is not, she said. I am only an instrument. I am constrained by thee. And again... cut her off, but this time not with words. She fell silent, genuinely surprised, as his face began to redden, his lips curled back in a snarl, and his entire body began to quiver. With rage. Not Not permitted, (laughs) he roared, and a force erupted from him, expanding outward like the force field of his metahuman power. Where it touched, the garden disintegrated, shattered, as if the flowers, the turf, the trees, and bushes were all made of glass. Where it had passed, there was nothing left but dust. But it wasn't enough. Bulwark reared back and bellowed, releasing his pent-up frustration over Victoria's sudden and inexplicable disappearance, over the months of fruitless searching that followed, of the careful dance he had performed around the genie. The genie, who could never be coerced into anything, who had to be handled just so. And what had that gained him? Nothing. The genie remained tight-lipped about the whole affair, never once surrendering even a passing thought of the events of that day. Bull continued to roar, his bubble of force and rage ever-expanding in undulating waves of light. He began to manifest fire, which tore from him to consume everything within that expanding space. The field shuddered and bellowed out as he gave one final dreadful push, as if driven by the fires within him, creating a small sun, until there was nothing left of the garden from horizon to horizon. And even that did not satisfy his anger. In the blink of an eye, the fires contracted to a pinpoint of searing light, then exploded, taking everything—light, fire, all—with them. And then— There was nothing but darkness. And a voice. Her voice. Dry, but a little surprised. I would describe that as excessive. In the vastness of the void, his consciousness sounded both overwhelming and somehow terribly, insignificantly small. I didn't just wreck a common staging area, did I? Only your own. A light grew in the darkness. It became the seraphim. Light spread outward from her until she hung in the center of the brightness. Fiery wings spread, perfectly balanced in the heart of the sphere of soft white light. Would you like it back again? Or do you prefer the dark? A good question, he answered as he resumed his customary neutral tone. He figured the seraphim realized what a rare thing it was for him to externalize any internal conflict. This one was a long time coming, and still he was no closer to the answers he sought, except for one. Vic was dead. The how and why aside, it was the certainty of her death that had finally sparked what rage he had bottled up over it. And now she was being offered back to him. His heart leapt at the idea of it. But was he done? With everything? Was it time to rejoin his love? He considered his choices, and realized there really wasn't any choice, not for him. There was nothing like destroying an entire plane of existence, even a personal one, to put things in perspective. I'm sorry, darling, he thought in prayer. Perhaps in time. I hope you understand, but I'm just not done fighting. Not yet. Seraphim somehow took on an aura of command, that cool impression of certainty he had always received from his best COs. You are a soldier, Gardner. In a sense, so am I. I have my orders. There are reasons for them that I am sometimes privileged to know, and you are not. "'And sometimes even I am not privileged to know reasons or even information. "'But I trust that this is for the greatest good. "'Do you understand?' "'She waited for his answer. "'Not entirely, no,' he answered. "'But it's my choice.' and I choose to go back. That will be permitted, she said gravely. But... She paused. Curious. It will be permitted, but not just yet. The light expanded until it filled everything again. Do not be concerned. It will be permitted. She vanished, leaving him alone, drifting in light. And now what? He asked aloud. You might consider rebuilding what you broke, rang the words in his mind. This has been Revolutions, Season 6 of The Secret World Chronicle. The Secret World Chronicle is narrated and produced by Veronica Jagger, with music by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Find us at www.secretworldchronicle.com, like us on Facebook, and circle us on Google+. And as always, thank you for listening.